0: watched a movie this past week that I've been wanting to watch for some time, um, and I even got Susan to watch half of it, so that's pretty good for one of my movies, uh, but it was, a, bo- it was a, a movie called The Book of Eli, uh, and it tells the story of a man named Eli, uh, who's played by Denzel Washington, and he's living in this post-apocalyptic world where, you know, everything's gone to pot, it's, it's brutal, it's violent, uh, it's, it's, it's a battle just to survive. And Eli has the last remaining copy of the Bible. It's the only one that's left. They've all been destroyed in the aftermath of whatever apocalypse has taken place. Uh, it, it's a King James Version, and it's the only one. Uh, and <clears throat> for whatever reason, and, and I won't tell you all the details you can watch this, but he's got to get this copy of the Bible to the West Coast. Right? And as he goes along, I think one of the things that the, the movie... Ask, one of the questions it asks and answers is, what would the world without the Bible look like? And you see, uh, in this movie, it's brutal, uh, it's it's violent, it's, it's uh, power-hungry, it's a fight just to survive. Um, and <clears throat> it becomes obvious that the hope for civilization, the only hope, is in this Bible. And he's got to get it there. I won't tell you why he's got to get it there, but he's got to keep this copy of the Bible, safe. He's got to preserve it. The future of mankind's at stake is really what's communicated uh, in the movie. I don't think it's overstating the case this morning to say that in Galatians 2, it's kind of this obscure passage, and at this point you're in Galatians, you're going, enough of the history of what's going on already. Can we just kind of get to the meat of this? It's kind of a little bit obscure to us, but I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that in this conference that takes place, the future of the gospel is at stake. The future of humanity is at stake. We don't, we're not here this morning if this conversation between Paul and the apostles doesn't uh, go the way that it winds up going. Uh, questions are being asked like, can Gentiles really be converted to Christianity and not have to take on all of the Jewish culture? Can you be a Christian without being Jewish? Um, is the gospel really faith alone and Christ alone alone? And nothing else. Is it only Jesus? Is it really going to be good news for the whole world? Or is it just going to be kind of this reform movement within Judaism? So that's what's uh, at stake in the passage today. So, uh, Galatians 2, starting in verse 1. and, And this is God's word. Then after 14 years, I, and this is Paul, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Would you pray with me? Father, this is your word, and uh, we pray that you would uh, speak through it to us uh, now, that this would not be simply a, a human exercise. Father, you know my sins and my uh, shortcomings, and you don't hold them against me, so I pray that you would not hold them against us, and that you would bless us with your gospel and with your presence this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, <clears throat> I'm going to do this every week, most more than likely, but a little, little review of where we are in the book of Galatians. Remember, the Apostle Paul uh, planted this church in Galatia. He founded this church on the message of uh, justification by faith, that you are made right with God Not by your works, but by resting simply in the work of Jesus Christ. It's it's Jesus plus nothing. After Paul started this church, false teachers came in after him and they were saying, yeah, you do need Jesus, that's right, but you need to add something to that if you're really going to be right with God. You need Jesus plus the works of of the law. In particular, you need Jesus plus circumcision if you're going to be right with God. Uh, and the, uh, the false teachers were, were probably saying something along the lines of, Paul, y- you just got your message from the Jerusalem apostles, and you've twisted it around, and you've messed it up, and now we're left with this, and this is just the wrong message that you're preaching. Uh, last week, what we looked at was that we saw that Paul arguing that he didn't get his gospel from the Jerusalem apostles that he got it from Jesus, that he received it as a revelation from God, that it was independent. It wasn't from any man. This was God's gospel. Uh, this week, he's arguing that while the Jerusalem apostles didn't give him his gospel, when he presented his gospel to them, they agreed with it. They're like, yeah, that's the, that's the same thing we're saying. We're, we're on the same page here. All right, so that's kind of background on where we're going. Uh, four points this morning. Um, Preachers are like deer hunters We like lots of points Um, (laughs) Especially older ones Uh, Discussion Opposition Decision and mission Uh, Discussion Opposition Decision and mission Are our points Uh, First of all discussion Let me give you just a rough timeline here Um, So you'll see where we are Paul's converted on the Damascus road Uh, He goes to Arabia He comes back to Damascus Then after three years, he goes to Jerusalem. He visits Peter for 15 days, hangs out for 15 days. He goes into Syria and Cilicia. And then after 14 years, he comes back to Jerusalem again. So he's been briefly, and now he's going for a more intense visit. Uh, He's got two guys with him. He's got Barnabas with him and Titus with him. And Titus is going to be important Because he's not Jewish, never had been, never will be. He was Greek. So he's got Barnabas and Titus with him. Why does he go? The text tells us that he went because he received a revelation. In other words, that God told him he needed to go to Jerusalem. So that's one reason he takes off and goes. It also tells that he goes to lay his gospel out before the apostles that are in Jerusalem. So he's going to say, okay, here's what I've been proclaiming to the Gentiles that you're made right with God through faith in Jesus plus nothing else. Uh, And so he's going to talk to Peter, to the other apostles about the gospel. What is it? How are you made right with God? Okay. Well, well, why does he need to do that? Paul tells us here at the end of verse 2, that he's doing this in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now when you read that at first, you, you kind of think, well, is, is, is Paul worried he doesn't have this right? Is Paul concerned that he doesn't have the gospel right, that he's messed it up and he needs confirmation from the Jerusalem apostles? No, because think about what he said already so far in the book of Galatians. He said that he got a message from Jesus, that it's from God himself, that he didn't consult any man, that he didn't need to consult any man, that he didn't need to go talk to the apostles, and that if you are preaching a different message, then, then you can be eternally condemned. All right, so he's he seemed pretty confident in his message so far, uh, and, and he's been preaching this message for 14 years. Uh, he's, he's seen the fruits of it in his own life. He's seen the fruits of it in the lives of others. What he's concerned about here is not that he's wrong. Uh, he's, he's, <clears throat> he's not so much worried about his gospel being changed. He's afraid that the fruitfulness of his ministry is going to be affected. He's afraid there's going to be a big mess, potentially. I mean, think about what happens if uh, the Jerusalem apostles start sending messengers out saying, Paul didn't have this quite right. Right? He's 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 off a little bit in in what he's preaching to you. We need we need to straighten this out. It could be a mess to say the least. There could be confusion. You could have wound up right from the very beginning with this this huge split in the church between Gentile believers and Jewish believers, with everybody kind of fighting with each other about who the true believers were. So <clears throat> this is a big deal kind of discussion. And from the point of view of the the false teachers. They think this discussion is going to prove their point. See, Paul, we told you you're wrong. You're not preaching the same gospel as the Jerusalem apostles. We don't, we don't need to listen to you, and nobody else does either. So that's what this is about. Does Paul's gospel match the gospel being proclaimed by the apostles? This is not, do we agree about worship styles? Should we use guitars or organs? Uh, this is not an argument about baptism This is an argument about the very, or discussion about the very nature of the gospel. Do we agree about the gospel? Alright, so that's why this is is kind of big. Alright, that's the discussion that's taking place. Now, notice, even as Paul is having this discussion with the Jerusalem apostles, there's opposition again. Alright, verse 4 tells us that false brothers have slipped in, to spy out the freedom we have in Christ so that they might bring us into slavery. Uh, and I want to make a point here that there is always going to be opposition to grace. There's always going to be opposition to the gospel. You know, some people oppose the gospel uh, because they want to be their own Savior and Lord. They want to do their own thing. I don't need Jesus telling me what to do. And that's kind of an irreligious uh, opposition to the gospel. Other people oppose the gospel because they want to be their own savior and lord. I don't. I don't need Jesus. I'm. I'm doing good things. I'm doing good works. I'm loving my neighbor. So. So why would I need the gospel? God owes me salvation already. Where's Paul's opposition coming from in this place? Well, it's coming from religious people. It's coming from uh, people who would say they were good people. And how are they opposing his gospel? Well, they're opposing his gospel by adding to the gospel. They're saying, Jesus isn't enough. You need Jesus plus the works of the law. You need Jesus plus circumcision. Uh, and here's the thing. When you add to the gospel, when you add anything to belief in Jesus, you move people away from freedom and towards slavery. When you try to add to the gospel, when you say Jesus plus something else, you move people away from freedom and toward slavery. All right, think about this for a minute. Let's, let's say we were to go back in time uh, to the 1860s and we found some slaves and we freed one of them <clears throat> and we said, see you later, go do your thing, enjoy life. Uh, and then you go to the next one and you free them and you say, You're free, but. You're free, but we're going to keep those shackles on your legs just in case. Um, We don't want you running too far. And and stay within two miles of the plantation. That's as far, because we might need you here to do some work. You're free, but. You see, one of them is truly free, and the other one isn't. What the false teachers were saying was going to move people away from freedom and actually back towards slavery. Now, how does it do that? How does, <clears throat> how does adding to the gospel actually destroy freedom? Well, uh, think for a minute about how the gospel brings us freedom. Right? On, the, on the one hand, let's think about a couple of examples, a couple of ways the gospel brings us freedom. On the, on the one hand, the gospel brings us Cultural freedom. Uh, if, if the false teachers is, had won then, we would all have to be culturally Jewish right now. All right? Uh, the gospel really wouldn't be able to go into all these different cultures like it's able to now. But whatever one it went into, we would all have to take on Jewish culture, Jewish characteristics. Uh, one writer put it this way. Uh, It would have meant far too much emphasis on external, excuse me, external cultural separation. You try to say that three times really fast. External cultural separation rather than on internal distinctiveness of spirit, motive, outlook, and perspective. Elevating cultural propriety to the level of spiritual virtue would lead Christians to a slavish emphasis on being culturally nice and proper, as well as to grossly intolerant and prejudiced attitudes. Think about that just for a minute. Elevating cultural propriety to the level of spiritual virtue would lead Christians to a slavish emphasis on being culturally nice and proper, as well as to grossly intolerant and prejudiced attitudes. Well, I'm glad that never happened in the South. Um, but <clears throat> when, you, when you add to the gospel, the emphasis falls on keeping rules, on external rules, which separates you from the people around you. You've got to be nice. You've got to be proper. You've got to do everything the way you know it's supposed to be done. And then you look down on everybody who's not in the club, everybody who's not culturally like you makes you kind of wonder how have we added to the gospel we'll get back to that in a second the gospel brings cultural freedom the gospel also brings the emotional freedom if you think your standing with god is based on your performance you are going to be trapped in if, if it's based on jesus plus something you do you're going to be trapped in work 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 guilt 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 you're going to be on a religious treadmill your entire life you're going to be anxious you're going to be looking at yourself all the time you're always going to be worried if you've done enough you're never going to be happy you're never going to be content because you really made it all about you and you've never done enough the false teachers were adding to the gospel they were adding to the gospel I want to ask, are there any ways, and we'll, we'll hit this again, but are there any ways that we add to the gospel? Are there any ways we add to the gospel? We may not do it explicitly, uh, but are, uh, and sometimes we do, but are, are there ways at least implicitly that we communicate to other people that if you want to be a part of this church, if you really want to know God, If you really want to have a relationship with him, it's Jesus plus. You need to believe in Jesus plus. You need to believe in Jesus plus you've got to join this church. You need to believe in Jesus plus you've got to check off on every box of Reformed theology. Uh, You need to believe in Jesus plus you can't smoke or drink. Then, Then, okay. Then you're okay. You need to believe in Jesus plus you need to speak in tongues. Uh, you need to believe in Jesus plus you've got to dress a certain way. You need to believe in Jesus plus you've got to vote a certain way. And when you do that, then, then you're in. Then you're accepted. Then we'll accept you and God accepts you. I think we should always be asking as a church, whether we intend to or not, are we communicating to people We'll accept you if it's Jesus plus. All right, what can we potentially be, what are we potentially adding to the message? Are we, <clears throat> are we telling people it takes more than faith in Jesus to enter the kingdom of God? Are we telling people it takes Jesus plus take on these cultural trappings? Now, <clears throat> notice here that Paul... Excuse me. That Paul calls the opposition these professing believers. He calls them false brothers. And and here's how, how this can can be scary. You can be convinced uh, that you're a Christian, that you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, and you may have said something like, "I've asked Jesus into my heart. Uh, I've I've uh, I said the prayer. Um, I'm committed my life to Him." And I'm I'm doing the best I can to live for him. And I'm I'm trying really hard to follow him. I'm trying my best. But you've got no real freedom, no real joy in the Christian life. Uh, well, why is that? Well, perhaps it's because you're still in bondage, because what you're really relying on in you is you, because what you really said is it's Jesus plus me doing well. It's Jesus plus me being really committed to him. Why are you struggling? Uh, Well, I'm not committed, and I need to be more committed. I need to read the Bible more. I need to try harder. You see how that can very easily become Jesus plus, something you do that you're resting in for your standing with God, and it's dragging you back towards slavery. Uh, you, You may even say you've repented, but the question is, you know, a lot of us can repent of sin have you actually repented of your righteousness? Have you come to the place where you've said, it can't be Jesus plus, because I've got no plus to add to it. There's nothing I can add to the finished work of Christ. Uh, anybody can say they repent of their sin, but only someone who's really resting in Jesus can repent of their righteousness. Have you repented of your righteousness? Uh, some of us are, are truly converted But we're still in kind of this emotional bondage. Uh, We say, we know, that it's Jesus plus nothing that makes us acceptable to God. But in our hearts, the thing that makes me acceptable is Jesus plus money. Jesus plus a great job. Jesus plus good relationships. Jesus plus a peaceful family life. Jesus plus... Success. And, and when I have that, I'll be okay. Somebody once said, Anything you add to Jesus as a requirement for being happy will become a slave master that will strangle you, will drive you into the ground, and will hang you by the neck until you're dead. Anything. Anything that you add to Jesus as a requirement for your being happy. I'm not going to be happy until I have Jesus. What is it? Plus, what is it? That whatever's in that blank will become a slave master that will strangle you, will drive you into the ground, and will hang you by the neck until dead. See, we can be converted and yet we're standing in opposition. Kind of like the false teachers. We're standing in opposition to the work of the gospel in our own hearts because what we're functionally saying every day is i'm not going to be happy with just jesus it's got to be jesus plus big discussion big opposition opposition that sometimes we take part in ourselves and in a decision what happens what's the verdict <clears throat> verse six paul says They added nothing to me. In other words, they didn't add anything to the message I was preaching. Verse 7, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, to the Jews. Verse 9, Peter, James, and John perceived the grace of God that had been given to me. They they gave Paul the right hand of fellowship. They said, yes, yes. We agree with your message. You are one of us. You are with us. You go preach this to the to the Gentiles, just as we're preaching it to the Jews. We're on the same page. It's the same message. And then to top it all off, verse three says, "Titus, <clears throat> who is with me, was not forced to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek." All right, in Titus, Paul has kind of brought a test case with him. Uh, he's brought a living, breathing test case with him. Titus was the proof that the Jerusalem apostles had agreed with him and they had accepted his message. Uh, he was proof that they hadn't ha- added anything to it because they didn't require him, a Gentile, to be circumcised. He was proof that hey, faith alone is enough. You don't need to add the works of the law to that. Now, you say here this passage seems kind of foreign to us on this point, right? We're not. Going to lunch and saying, hey, let's talk about circumcision today. Um, you, you need to understand that the Old Testament had all of these clean laws, all right? They had, and if you, if you read through the Old Testament, these probably confuse you sometimes. They have laws about uh, what you can eat, they have laws about mildew, they have laws about infectious diseases, laws about dress. And part of what these clean laws did was that they set apart the Jews. Uh, ethnically, and culturally. But the other thing they were designed to demonstrate was that God is holy, and if you're going to come into God's presence, you've got to be clean. You've got to be holy. But at the same time, they were showing them you can never clean yourself up enough to enter into the presence of God. Because think about it. Even after you spent all... And think about the, the time and the energy and the emotional energy it would take to obey all these clean laws... Even after you do all of these and you do them the best you can, you show up at the tabernacle and still somebody has to offer a sacrifice for you. Like, what? what? I've, I've been doing all this stuff. Why does somebody still have to offer a sacrifice for me? Because you're still not clean. All right, think about it this way. If you had a big date and you were showing up at somebody's house and you had, you know, you bathed three times and got to smelling good and... Got your hair all right, and got dressed pretty and you cleaned the car and you showed up at the house and you walked to the door and they said, You know what, I need you to take another shower. Um, and here's some clothes I'd like you to, to wear before we go out. And oh, by the way, here's a can of Lysol. Would you spray down with this really well first before we go out? See what they would be communicating to you was, you haven't cleaned up enough for me. All right, you can't make yourself clean enough to be in my presence. That's what the clean laws were designed to do in the Old Testament. They were designed to say to the Old Testament believers you can't get clean enough to enter into the presence of a holy God. But uh, some, like the false teachers, had begun to take them as this is what you do to make yourself acceptable to God. And if you check off all these boxes then you'll be acceptable to God. And circumcision had kind of become the ultimate box to check it was kind of symbolic of the whole thing it was the external sign it was the symbol that i was doing the law that you were making yourself acceptable to god so when the apostles here look at titus and say he doesn't need to be circumcised he doesn't he doesn't need to to have that symbol Uh, they were saying one you don't have to be culturally jewish in order to be a christian but they were also saying, uh, two, the way you get spiritually clean is through faith in Jesus, not through doing the law. You need to quit trying to make yourself clean. That's what all those laws were designed to show you anyways, that you couldn't make yourself clean. And so there's no need for any of that anymore. Jesus is the one who makes you clean. You know, I know that's very removed from us. <laughs> today but well, that's a big deal that's a big deal last week we talked about uh, the freedom riders and the civil rights movement and how they would ride buses through the south uh, to protest segregation racial segregation and how they would go into these bus terminals uh, and they would sit in the whites only sections and, the, and, and y'all, y'all know this there were signs like this everywhere uh, in the bus station at the Water fountain, uh, whites, coloreds, uh, you know, everywhere, whites only, whatever. It was, it was all the signs were everywhere. Well, what happened was the Civil Rights Movement began to have an effect. Uh, and those signs began to be taken down, didn't they? And that was a big deal when the signs weren't there anymore. Because those signs weren't just about eating or drinking, those signs were pointing to something else. They were pointing to something deeply embedded in that culture. And the removal of those signs, while it didn't change people's hearts in and of itself, it did point to something much bigger going on. It said to African Americans then, you're free. You're free. You're not bound by all of this anymore. You are you are accepted on the same level. Now, did that acceptance actually take place? Then no. But the removal of those signs, that was a big deal. That was a big deal. The fact that the Jerusalem apostles, uh, so to speak, well, what they did was they took down the sign that day with Titus. Said so you don't. This sign isn't here anymore. We're not going to force you to wear it. We're not going to force you to wear this sign to prove that you're accepted by God. And it spoke a very loud and clear message of freedom to the people of God. It spoke loudly and clearly that Jesus is enough. That Jesus is enough. Now, let me ask you just for a second. Do you believe that? Or perhaps better, because we all go, "Uh uh-huh. Do you believe that? Are you defined by that? Does that define you and shape you? Does grace define you? Does it define us as a church? Uh, Are we a church that accepts people because they have certain cultural markings of Christianity? Because... uh, they dress a certain way because they're nice. We like to be nice. Because they've reached a certain level of obedience. Because they don't struggle with those sins. They don't have any of those sins in their lives. Okay, okay, now we'll accept you. Or do we accept people simply because of faith in Jesus Christ? Are we trying to hang signs around people's necks and say, when you're here, when you got this, then you can be a part of this. Are we saying we are simply sinners who are resting in Christ and nothing else? Big discussion, big opposition, bigger decision. And then finally, and I'll be brief with this, there's this mission. Oh, It's kind of the so what at the end of all this. Uh, in verse 9... They, they give Paul the right hand of fellowship and then they said that we should go to the Gentiles and they the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. You know, if you've been set free from um, bondage to the law, if you've been set free from bondage to your own sin, to your own, to, to slavery to sin, what's the natural thing to do? You go and tell other people where you found freedom you go and tell other prisoners how they can be freed from their bondage as well you tell them good news and y'all we talk about evangelism a lot but i would encourage you as you think about evangelism uh, to think about simply telling people your story uh, to tell them this is who I was, and this is how I've been freed. Now, you do want to communicate the facts of the gospel. Don't get me wrong. But I think sometimes we we don't believe the gospel enough to tell people what's actually happened in our lives, To, to tell people, yes, I was a sinner who was converted. Instead, what we kind of present is, I'm a pretty good person, and you're not, and you need to believe this set of facts. Instead of standing before them and saying, this is how screwed up I am, and this is why I need Jesus. That's telling somebody the gospel. That's something more than just to believe this circle of truth. That's pointing them to the one who is truth. Uh, The other natural thing to do is not just to to share your story. The other natural thing to do for someone who has been uh, rescued, someone who has been given the riches of heaven at the expense of Jesus, is it is very natural for you to start caring about needy people. It, it, it just makes sense. <clears throat> and y'all, this is not believe in Jesus plus care for the poor and then you'll be saved. But this is simply the natural outgrowth of grace uh, in the heart of a person who's met Jesus. See, when you realize that you are poor and needy, that you have contributed nothing to your salvation, you didn't pay for it, you didn't earn it, you didn't work hard, you didn't pull yourself up, you didn't stay away from welfare. When you realize that, that you contributed nothing to your salvation, that changes the way you think about needy people around you. It changes the way you think about poverty. It changes the way you think about the poor. And Paul is showing us, look, here's how grace changes you in a way that the law never could. Here's how grace changes you in a way that the law Never could. See, if you haven't been touched by grace, if you haven't found life in Christ, then it's going to be real hard to let go of money. You're going to hold on to it very tightly because money is your life. Money is, although you might not say it this way, it's your savior. It's the thing that that keeps you um, in this world in an okay place. And you'll hold on to it tightly. But if you start to realize your only hope, your only life is Christ, then your hands will open up and you'll begin to be very generous with your money to those who are in need. You'll start to give. See, I don't think telling people it's their Christian duty to give really helps that much. It doesn't really make make any, we just feel kind of guilty about that. What changes us, what makes us generous is getting the gospel and really believing this message and seeing the grace of God at work in our lives, in our children's lives, in our spouses' lives. The gospel wants to make, is what makes us generous. And it does make us generous. And so I would ask you this morning kind of to, to wrap up is, are you generous? Are you joyful? Are you, are you free? Uh, if the answer to that is no, then <clears throat> if you say no, then what I want you to do is go home and read your Bible more. No. No, that's not the answer. If the answer to that is no, then I would call you to run away from your own righteousness. Run away from the stuff you keep trying to add to Jesus. Run away from, from I'm just going to get better. And run to Jesus as quickly as you can. Quit trying to add something to Jesus. And simply rest in what he has done for you. And you know what? That's actually going to change you. But that's another day. Let me, let me, let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Um, would you show us... The ways we try to add to it, I don't think many of us would, would intellectually try to add to it. We've, we've heard it so many times, we, we kind of know what it is, but, but there are ways we add to it in our own lives. Uh, things we think we've got to do, things we think we've got to have, um, we find it really hard to rest in the performance of Jesus and, and want to rest in us. And when we do that, we, we're adding to it. So, Father, help us to rest uh, in Christ and in Christ alone. We pray it in his name. Amen.